deceptive manipulative. He's also a former social worker and a political campaign activist. Some people in town say the base is run by aliens working with our federal government to conduct mind control and genetic experiments. I'm leaving. I'm glad. Thanks a lot, society, for railroading my ass. Hello everyone, welcome to the Eerie Americas. This is your host, Christy Holt. This is Vicky Ayala. Yay, we're here. Aww. Happy Friday. The countdown to Christy leaving begins. Oh, please. You won't miss me. Oh, please. When this episode drops, this is our July 4th-ish episode because it's going to be July 3rd. But Christy's leaving at the end of the month, so I don't know why she's like acting like she's not leaving at the end of the month. Because I'm in denial, that's all. That's all that it is. The first Friday after that is going to be so weird. I know, I know. It's going to be awkward. I mean, don't worry, the podcast will go on, it, you guys. It lives on. It it's shall always live gonna on. It's going to be weird for us. Yeah, I the like recording's going to be different, that's all. We'll be Skyping ver- or video conferencing versus seeing each other face-to-face. That'll be the weird thing. And, like, she's always my good excuse to drink, and I'm not going to have it, so that's going to be a bummer. I'm just and gonna- I'm going to have to make my own drinks. That's the worst. Yeah. Because Christy makes really good drinks. <laughs> and I'm just going to have to drink beer because I'm not making shit. It is oh, all we'll good. Oh, Donnie the cat. All right, well, I'm going to get really upset if I keep talking about it. We'll jump right into our little... Well, something funny did happen today, which I texted Christy, but I thought I'd share the stupid things that I do on a daily basis. I do really stupid shit. So the one thing that I'm pretty religious about is uh, getting my nails done. I get my nails done. I get my toes done. It's relaxing, and it's necessary, and it's probably one of the few times every two weeks where I have, like, a minute to myself. And so um, I made an appointment for my pedicure, in the middle of the day, I text Christy and I was like, shit, I have a pedicure appointment and I forgot to shave my legs, which I'm pretty sure every girl has done or every girl I know that shaves their legs just for their I pedicure. think every girl that goes for their first summer pedicure forgets that aspect. So don't feel bad. And there's so many of us that I know, like for myself, sometimes I just shave to go get my pedicure. It's just what happens. Christy's like, oh, well, you know, they've seen worse, which is, of course is true because I've seen men get pedicures and that shit is nasty. Not that I'm saying, you know, men don't try to say I'm like man-hating. It's just gross. Like, mm-hmm. Your feet are gross and you have hair. So she's like, don't worry. They've seen worse. So like two hours later, I text her. I was like, guess what I just did? I walked to Rite Aid. I got a razor and I shaved in my job's bathroom because <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to do that to my nail lady. I feel like that's more of an issue for you than it is for her. It totally her. is because when I was shaving, I was like, there's not even that much hair. She probably, and mind you, I'm wearing jeans. So she could only pull my jeans up like an inch and a half. So basically my ankle, she only saw my ankle. But you were worried about your slightly hairy ankle enough to where you were going to worry about it. You're ridiculous, I went and spent like 10 bucks on a razor that I'm going to use once because I have a razor at home. Four new razors, guys. That is so funny. But yeah, that's stupid shit that Vicky does on a daily basis. Hey, you got your nails done. At least you can do that. Unfortunately, I'm such a weirdo now that my allergies preclude me from even stepping foot into a salon anymore. Like, I can't stand the fumes and the smell. I'm allergic to like 90% of the chemicals in there. So I really miss that. I got to find like, of, of course, I'm in New York City and I still can't find a vegan, non-toxic whatever nail salon it would be like a hundred dollar manicure because that's just a hundred are you joking it would be like 250 for like just to get my nails cut like let alone (laughs) colored and all the swirls and the gels and the forget about it It would be a wrap like i would go into debt getting my nails done so i'm trying my own vegan nail polishes if there's any women out there that are listening that are having the same issues and you have any recommendations let me know because i will take them because this is torture for me like i remember when christy found out that she was allergic to that stuff and she came over we had a barbecue at our friend's house and the look this look of sadness pure sadness on her face when she came with like this bag full of nail polish and was just like i can't use it anymore it was a decade of nail polish because i am an avid i was an avid nail polish girl for years like my me time was either going to the nail salon or getting doing my nails myself and so like i lost that when i got all these crazy allergies so like that part of primping for myself is gone so when i handed it over at the barbecue it was so funny everyone's plucking through it all excited we're all excited we're like oh i like this one i like this one and christy's just meanwhile my heart's breaking slowly and i'm like oh yeah it's so enjoy it ladies enjoy (laughs) yourselves now i have to try to find some vegan nail polish that doesn't peel off in 28 hours it's terrible it's the worst 
we're going to get into something I found on Reddit that I found interesting. So I was going into the Reddit universe and I came across somebody's nightmare. Ooh. And I thought it was pretty interesting. So this is from user Frontal Cortex One. And the post starts, it says, the title is, She's Coming to Take Me Away. I'm not going to be able to explain this in a way that will do it justice, but this nightmare was insanely vivid and horrifying, and I'm still trying to get over it so I can finally sleep again. It also probably won't go how you expect it to go if you're judging it by the first paragraph. The build-up sort of backstory behind it was mostly forgotten within minutes of waking up, but from what I remember, I was on a field trip of sorts. I'm in high school, and I was in a group of about 12 other high school students, plus two college kids who were our, quote, facilitators. They were in charge of us. We're from up north, but we're in the deep south for the field trip, somewhere in Louisiana or Georgia. Our facilitators thought it would be fun to take us to a voodoo museum shop in a spooky, swampy area. The shop was neat, albeit fairly freaky. A lot of items in the shop were unsettling, and our group was generally pretty anxious to leave, but it was still daylight, and we were only supposed to be there an hour or two anyways, so everyone just kept their complaints to themselves. However, there was a massive storm, naturally. The storm was rather quick and unimportant except for the fact that the water rose incredibly high, covering the surrounding areas and effectively marooning us in the museum, and by the time the storm was over, it was night, which meant that we would be sleeping in the creepiest building any of us had ever seen. We were freaked out, and when you have a group of freaked out high school students in any mildly creepy place, we play ghost games. It was like, of course, it was like a known law of the natural universe at this point. The majority of the group had huddled together to play Bloody Mary and Charlie Charlie-esque games. I love horror, though, and wanted to find something spookier to do, something that could give me a little thrill. There was this little book that I found whilst snooping, but I don't remember where. It had a name that intrigued me, but I only vaguely remember what it said. It was like Book of Spirits or Book of Shadows or something. Anyway, I flipped through it, but nothing really stood out except for a song. The song wasn't part of the book. It was just the paper tucked inside. I don't recall the lyrics, but they basically explained the game behind it. I say game because there wasn't really a winning or losing, only losing. The song was about not knowing if you're awake or asleep. You sang the song over and over, and if you found yourself suddenly waking up confused because you didn't remember falling asleep, you couldn't go back to sleep or she would take you. I was wandering through the building like a ghost, singing the song over and over. Nothing happened for the longest time, but then an eerie stillness permeated through what felt like the entire swamp. I stopped singing and everything else around me stopped too, from the sound and breeze from the outside to the other kids just a room away. Then there was a girl, and I use that term loosely here, standing in front of me. She was absolutely horrific. Picture Samara from The Ring, but far, far worse. And I suddenly woke up within the dream, mind you. So I obviously freaked out because as per song, once I slept again, she'd come and take me. There was another girl in white telling me not to let her take me because then she'd come for me again in the waking world. But I couldn't concentrate on what she was saying because I kept getting these flashes of visions of what she planned to do with me and where she would take me. I don't remember them, but my screams were too loud for the girl in white to speak through, which speaks to how bad they surely were. Then something came over me and began to make me walk. I was terrified and screaming and crying and trying so desperately to resist, but I couldn't control what I was doing. Whatever made me walk forced me to sing the song again as I laid down on the bed I had been given for the night by the shop owner. After laying down, I was paralyzed and could do nothing but hum the song as I waited for her to come. After a few moments, she crawled out of a shadow just around the corner and made her way to me. She perched on the side of my bed, looking down at me and smiled. And then I suddenly woke up in my bedroom in real life. Now I can't sleep again because despite knowing it was a dream, I am terrified that she's going to come for me again in the waking world, like the song and the girl in white said she would. That's really fucking creepy. That, like, I wouldn't sleep. Yeah, after that I'd be like, all right, I guess I'm staying up watching right? The Office for the next six right. hours. Uh, coffee, mm-hmm. sugar, soda, everything. I, when I have really bad dreams like that, I have to watch something funny or something right. completely... Right, like it has to distract your mind from the scary. And mind you, we research terrible things all day or like really right. scary things for a lot of people and a lot of people's phobias and fears and i have to stay up and watch something that's lighthearted after things right. like that no, so absolutely. it's a terrifying notion that that this is like a high school kid who hasn't even had the years to harden him into or like her yeah exactly it's, so it's 
pretty horrifying. And like, but I've been to those voodoo shops, and I can totally feel like the unsettling part of some of the because some of the stuff that was in there, I'm like, is this supposed to be here? Is there a meaning behind this, or did it just pop up here? <laughs> like the stuff. Everything, everything made you feel like everything meant something else. Right, like yeah. the littlest thing. I'd be like, oh, what does that mean? And it would just, it would literally be something regular, and I'd be like, what does that mean? And it so what do you got for us today for uh, America's birthday? All right. So since uh, tomorrow after this episode is uh, July 4th, I thought I would do something July 4th related. And 4th of July for people that are listening outside of the country is our Independence Day. Yes. And my least favorite holiday. Not because it's our Independence Day, but because I have a dog who has like noise anxiety. Oh, yeah. She hates she fireworks. Goes crazy easy during the fireworks so don't like it too much but and it even though they are illegal in brooklyn people have them everywhere mind you i live in brooklyn about i would have to say it's walking distance to a precinct and they do not give a shit yeah and we're, and we're 10 miles away from like the whole big hudson river one yeah you if even if they didn't let the fireworks off by my by my apartment we would hear the coney island ones mm-hmm. or the, something by the bridge like yep. we would hear it anyway yep. but yeah the fact that they're illegal people give no fucks in my neighborhood Mm-mm. They don't, care. they don't care. No one cares on the 4th and of they July. they don't care on the 4th of July or any other day. But like on the 4th of July, I remember last year, they started at 5 in the afternoon and it ended at 3 in the morning. And my dog, long story short, ended up traumatizing herself so bad that she cut her tail, needed surgery, and I had to amputate mm-hmm. her tail. So thanks, July 4th. Yeah, so she's got her animosity towards this. I do. But I don't like it. you fell on this week, so you got to do it. Ha ha. Oh, fine. So while I was coming across some research and I was, you know, looking up July 4th things, I came across some interesting stuff. I have we haven't done a haunting in a while, so I was kind of looking into paranormal, and I seem to find a couple of things that uh, are kind of related. So here we go. All over the world, there are tales of spooky visitors from beyond the grave, but in American history, there are some apparently famous anecdotes that include the portrait of our forgotten beauty, unidentified sounds disturbing the silence of night, and reports of Dolly Madison scaring rose garden workers. Abraham Lincoln's lingering presence, George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, just some of the most recognizable figures in American history who apparently just don't want to leave and want to continue to uh, return to their former digs. A lot of these ghost stories are about these famous men and women who have happened to pass through the White House in particular. So Hmm. we're going to start with Benjamin Franklin who uh, I know that there's people outside the country that listen to it, so a little background. He's one of the founding fathers of the United States, and he was instrumental in laying the foundation of government for the United States. His long list of contributions include his work as a writer, scientist, inventor, printer, philosopher, statesman, economist, just multitasking dude. He was born in Boston, but a lot of his legacy is in Philadelphia. That's actually where he's buried with his wife, Deborah. And it's in Philadelphia that his spirit has been known to put in an appearance from time to time. So in Philadelphia, there's an old city neighborhood. I've been there. Really pretty. Cobblestone streets, but it kind of smells like horse manure. (laughs) There's just a lot of historically significant buildings there. And if you walk around, you will see parents literally dragging their snotty kids unwillingly (laughs) to try to get some history in them. To see this historically significant buildings in and, you know, learn about America. Like boring shit, but, you know, you should do it. (laughs) But right in the heart of it all, next to Independence Hall and down the street from the Liberty Bell, is an old building, which everything is old, but there's an old building. And it is called the American Philosophical Society Building, so even the name sounds old. According to various websites and at least two books, Benjamin Franklin's spirit haunts the Philosophical Society's library hall. It is also, and in all the articles I've read, they don't really know like how frequently it happens, it just kind of happens. They say that there's a statue of Benjamin Franklin, like a toga-wearing statue of him, in the building's exterior. And it is said that the statue actually climbs down and moves around as if it were human. According to a book by Darcy Ort, quote, What makes the statue of Franklin especially unique are the reports of it leaving its pedestal. Shortly after Franklin died, people reported seeing the statue walking the streets of Philadelphia. Some report seeing the statue making its way towards Franklin's house, as the real Franklin did on so many occasions. Others report seeing the statue dancing or skipping along Philadelphia streets. There are even claims that it visits local pubs, like City Tavern, end quote. That's hilarious. (laughs) 
Imagine, like, you're gonna, instead of haunting people, like, you're dancing down the street. But that's so funny that he, like, uses the statue as his body. Because, like, it's so heavy. You would think a ghost wouldn't be able to utilize, like, right? that just goes to show well, you. Just picks up easier. I guess because Patrick Swayze in that movie, like, ruined the idea of, like, ghost? you having to use a certain amount of energy right? and so like, like move a quarter, move a quarter <laughs> takes all that energy but yet Benjamin Franklin can skip down the street with a bunch of steel you know like or whatever marble or whatever it's made of so that's hilarious well if that's not enough to make you believe according to another woman just known as Debs who was quoted in this book by Matt Lake called Weird Pennsylvania quote I heard that Ben Franklin's ghost knocked over a cleaning woman in the Philosophical Society Library in Philadelphia <laughs> This was back in the 1880s, and apparently he was making a dash for the bookshelves there. He founded the Philosophical Society, so there is some connection, I guess. Some other folks say that they've seen his statue from outside the Philosophical Society dancing along the streets. So another claim on this same thing. But according to that story, um, after the incident that he knocked the woman down, when the woman was describing what he looks like, it matched every description of Benjamin Franklin that has ever been written. There's also a lot of ghost tours in Philadelphia, which I have done. They're awesome. And according to most of the tours, the travel guides will state things about the dancing Ben Franklin's ghost. One of the tour guides quoted, There's actually a legend here in Philadelphia that on Easter Sunday, Benjamin Franklin's spirit, toga and all, descends down from that statue and will dance around happily outside of the building. So maybe we'll all convene back here or the people who live a block away, because there are people who live a block away, can tell us if it's true. But that's the legend that's out there and it's a pretty cool one so if you're ever here on easter sunday maybe this is the place to be end quote. <laughs> so, religious, i don't know if the religious holiday has a tie to anything but maybe he just thought like hey there's a lot of people here let me dance i don't know but that's the rumor that's the funniest ghost story i've ever heard right because a lot of them are like super scary i would like to think that at least one person who's gonna haunt you maybe would be funny instead of scary and because like when you think of the founding fathers you just think of this super very serious. super serious guy but no he's just a dancing fool i love it there are also other reports of people who saw the there's a lot of reports of people seeing the the statue dancing along the street and that's what's interesting it's multiple people it's multiple saying people the same thing over different generations it's not just like now like in the 1880s someone saw him and like it's, it's not and it's not like he's like gliding down the street they're saying dancing <laughs> dancing that's exactly. hysterical i can't um, get over it another story told by a philadelphia local citizen quote the only thing i've ever heard of was at a battlefield one time apparently there's a ghost of a horse i think it was the battle of gettysburg which was a different era but people said at night during the battle or like every year you'll hear the horse hooves galloping so maybe he bought a horse with them who knows but yep that's benjamin franklin pretty interesting the next person I want to get into is Robert E. Lee, who is the son of a Revolutionary War hero. He attended the United States Military Academy, where he graduated second in his class. He was offered the command of the Union Army, but declined it in order to support the Confederacy. He led a number of successful Ooh. battles. Right. <laughs> he led a number of successful battles in the Civil War before his surrender in April of 1865. But maybe, perhaps due to the bloodshed he witnessed in the war... It seems that his ghost has regressed back to his and all of our less complicated childhood years because it's reported that a four-year-old Robert E. Lee ghost has been like haunting his childhood home Alexandria. It's so interesting. I've always wondered if you have the option to be a ghost, would you be able to pick, would you be able to pick a period of your life? Do I have to haunt you at like the age that I died? Can I just go pick an age? Or is there a certain point of your life where you were so happy or a part of your life that you were so content with that that's the place you naturally go? And that's what's interesting. One of the first times I've ever really heard of this, because you always hear someone, you know, in something that they from the time that they pass. You don't really hear too much about someone regressing to their four year old self and haunting in that. Well, when you choose a losing side, I guess you would want to regress. (laughs) Of course. The ghost is also suspected in several pranks, like ringing a doorbell and rearranging of household objects, giggling throughout the hall. He's been seen playing in the backyard with like a big black dog. And it's the same four year old kid that I already keep seeing. Hmm. But oddly enough, this isn't like the only thing that people seeing. He had a lot of homes, lived in a lot of places throughout his life. And it's said that several of him or his family's homes are haunted. And, you know, when one thinks of him, you kind of think of him as like dignified and like a gentleman coming from an honored family. Totally not the case. His family was like plagued with scandals. Hmm, I was not he aware of that. He always conducted himself with dignity, but apparently his family did not. And this, 
Like example, his father, who was also a war hero, was kind of a hellraiser. He was a gambler, a drinker, and constantly in debt. One time he was even thrown in debtor's prison. Um, after he died, his widow and children were left so destitute that they had to depend on charity from other family members who also had their own scandals. One of their relatives, known as Black Horse Harry, I think he was an uncle, was guilty of having an affair with his wife's sister while his wife was bedridden due to an illness. Wow. Um, Charming. At, yep. At least two of the homes lived in by the Lee family have verified accounts of being haunted by either Robert E. Lee or a family member. The best known home, of course, is the Arlington one where it's now located in the middle of Arlington National Cemetery, which I guess makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, it was seized early in the war, became a resting place for a lot of dead It's like home to the dead and they get restless. So people see a lot of ghosts and several of his family ghosts have been sighted there. Not just him, him, uncle, mother, a couple of couple of family members. Right. Um, Stratford Hall, which is another home of the Lees, which was built in the early 1700s and naturally has several generations of his family's ghosts, including Black Horse Harry. You know, that horrible guy that had an affair with his sister-in-law while his wife was sick. That guy. Robert E. Lee had actually lived there for some time with his mother and siblings after his father died and they had no freaking money. Wow. Um, so that's his connection there. And they also had to move again because of their financial situation that their father left them in. And the home that they ended up moving into at that time is actually like he's really fond of that house, even though like they moved there for a really bad reason. Once again, might prove my theory. Yep. And it's where he, and it's funny because they said that that home is the home he went to after he surrendered. So he obviously had a fondness for that house right. because after such a thing that, you, you know, that's where he retreated to. In 1967, a family moved into that mansion and immediately had paranormal experiences. What year? 1967. So wow. this is... Hundreds, hundreds of, of years, years later. later their paranormal experiences would even be during the day they said that during the day the whole family would hear the sound of like soft footsteps of a child and giggling coming from the upper floors the family also felt the ghost child walked around as they stood upstairs which is like totally normal the ghost made his presence known too at least two to three times a day often running around sometimes moving objects for example the wife had a lighter flung at her feet huh. and this Again, the child ghost like to play pranks on people. Besides playing like ding dong ditch, like ringing the doorbell and like supposedly running, they somehow they said that they like to put snowflakes at people's feet. So I'm gonna go into that because there was a neighbor who visited, and she was sitting in the living room, in the middle of the living room, regular living room. There's a roof over her head, and snow started to drop on her foot. And it was said that the child ghost liked to do that to guests that came into the home. Somehow drop snow on their feet. I don't know how. I didn't know that. This would be like middle of the summer. Middle of summer, sitting in a living room. Like, I didn't know that you could control the weather too, apparently. What? And so it goes without saying that she kind of got up quickly and left. Yeah, no shit. I would have. The family also saw the apparition of the black dog with floppy ears, which I totally, after my dog passes, I want her to follow me around too. Yes. I hope all my pets haunt me. I want them to haunt me. I don't want you to go to heaven. I want you to be with me forever. Haunted pets, welcome. But they see the dog playing in the backyard with a child ghost. Um, apparently, every location associated with Robert E. Lee is freaking haunted. And depending on the time of the year, most of the homes are actually open to the public. So if you uh, are anywhere where there's a home of uh, anybody that has to do with Robert E. Lee or his family, like check it out because they're saying that a lot of sightings have been reported by the public as well when they're like open to the public. And... It's because it's like a private residence now and a public museum, so you can totally just like walk in for a tour and there have been a lot of sightings of either him or his family. So the whole family just doesn't want to fucking leave. Not That's just pretty crazy. Wow. I wonder if they planned that while they were alive. Like yeah, they were right. all just going to haunt every house we've ever lived in. Right. Or like the family's so happy being Lees that they're just like, no, I'm not ready we're, to we're move on. We're not leaving ever. We're going to be the Lees everywhere. I mean, I don't know. Who knows? But our next one is Aaron Burr, who served as vice president of the United States from 1801 to 1805 after losing his bid for presidency when Alexander Hamilton threw his support to Thomas Jefferson. Whoops. History lesson here. In 1804, Burr mortally wounded Hamilton in a duel fought in New Jersey. Weird New Jersey. But oddly enough, Burr's ghost is actually said to be seen in New York City's West Village. Of course he is. (laughs) Everyone (laughs) is seen in New York City. Exactly. Several witnesses have stated that they've observed him wandering through the streets in the village. One restaurant located on Barrow Street called One If By Land, Two If By Sea has laid claim to his ghost. There's several ghosts in that restaurant, apparently. But they claim, they claim his ghost right there. They claim Aaron Burr. 
And it's, you know, with its romantic lighting and soft piano music as a drop, like a backdrop, this restaurant is pretty much a very well-known setting for like daily marriage proposals. But diners sometimes have to deal with the angry spirit of Burr who was said to send dishes crashing and chairs moving from under dining patrons. Many accounts that state that this restaurant is located in was what was once Burr's carriage house. But his carriage house wasn't even built until he sold the property. But that's what—that's probably the connection there. That and it just might just very well just be the land period. It's probably just the land exactly. And employees over the years have encountered Burr's ghost in the basement of the structure. It is said that he likes to trip people as they walk down the stairs. Several workers have quit after this happened to them, which makes sense because I would totally quit. And it's weird because after that duel, first of all, the duel happened in New Jersey, and then he like flew to Pennsylvania. Again, you killed Alexander Hamilton, so you kind of had to flee. Makes sense. But it's also said that his private residence there, they also see his spirit in a bed and breakfast. Wait, can we go back? When you accept the rules of a duel, is that murder? You know what? That's an interesting question. Because if I say, like, we're going we're gonna to fight to the death, Because you're then accepting you die. the fact that one of you will die. Right. Including, that's a so 50-50 like really, chance. If so. you get into a duel and we agree to fight to the death and one of us kills the other, should we really have to flee? Because, I mean, you agree to it, right? Right. Isn't that voluntary? <laughs> I don't understand. I guess maybe it's because of who it was. But then again, Alexander Hamilton, you agreed to the duel. Right. You're a smart man, supposedly. They did a whole Broadway play over you, and yet you're going to agree to a duel? I'm You're just saying. You're supposed to have been intelligent. Anyway, just my, that was my point. <laughs> but, you know, just throwing it out there. after he killed Hamilton, he fled to Pennsylvania, where now they're saying that he also haunts a bed and breakfast there. But he is not the only member of the Burr family that has apparently not left us. Theodosia Burr, which was his daughter, and she's also known as um, one of America's first great women of learning and accomplishment. She was known to be intelligent cultured, sophisticated, so in other words, a snob. Mm -hmm. In 1801, she was married off to Joseph Alston. He was a wealthy South Carolina planter, and he was later governor of the state, but their marriage, like a lot of people's, was not a happy one because it was more marriage of convenience having to do with economics and finances than of love. And that seems to be the thing in the, like, upper upper cl- yeah, class you kind society of, exactly and it said that he basically Aaron Burr offered his daughter to the wealthy man to provide secure security for them because their family legacy was declining because he was another one plagued by scandals right and Austin her husband was said to basically have just been a really ill person he was constantly sick and she would often go on retreats to spas and would withdraw from society because you know, I guess that's what you do when the husband you don't like is sick. So it was kind of normal for her to like go to different places for months on end. But then in 1812, her young son died. She fell into a really deep depression. And after a few months, she actually decided she was going to go visit her father, who at this time was living in New York, which is why he's still connected to the village. On December 31st, 1812, she left her husband's plantation to sail north on the Patriot. That's the name of the ship to visit her father. During this time, a war was raging. What war? Of course, all our little history buffs. The War of the 1812. The of 1812, of course. <laughs> that was the war. It was raging at that time. Mm-hmm. So, some say that the Patriot was sunk by enemy action, which is a very big possibility in the middle of a war. But there's also another possibility that this ship became a victim of a group of uh, wreckers known as the Carolina Bankers, who apparently they would set up false signals and draw ships into like really treacherous waters wrecking them and then they would go on the wreck ships that obviously couldn't sail anymore because it was wreckage to them kill everybody on the ship and then like take everything that was worth anything off the ship so either one's a possibility but the patriot was never seen again nor was theodosia but the legends insist that she survived and was cast ashore in a small boat onto the outer banks without any possessions except a portrait of herself and wow. that with her sanity completely gone, she was thereafter cared for by a fisherman and his wife. Portrait of herself. Wow. Which I want to say it's not vain. A lot of people say it's a gift for her father. But you know what? She sounded kind of vain. So maybe she was just vain. But... I mean, we're vain these days. How many selfies do you have on your phone? When right? I die, I want to die with a picture of myself in my hand. I don't know. I joke around all the time that we should all just do like if artists were to draw portraits how they used to these days, everyone would have their cell phone in their hand. Or they take portraits of you taking a selfie of yourself. Yeah, it would be you taking a selfie. Of so yourself. it's kind Absolutely. of, I guess or she's like down at your phone. the original, original selfie. original selfie, or like you know, self judger of your photo. <laughs> right. I'm taking my favorite photo of me ever. Boom. I'm taking my portrait of me everywhere. <laughs> but the story is that in 1869, when an 
a patient that was uh, a very sick patient was too poor to pay her doctor offered instead a portrait her husband's family had given to her as a gift when the doctor questioned her about the portrait she told him that her in-laws were wreckers and that they had plundered a ship they found abandoned and she stated her relatives have found a woman's belongings all about the main cabin and amongst the things they found was the portrait so this kind of like goes into that wrecker theory again it's not known if theodosia actually left with the portrait because it didn't none of this surfaced until like after her husband died so gotcha. they don't really know if she actually left with the portrait right. or if this like was something she did after she left got it got it um again a lot of people said it was a gift for her father i'm gonna say she's vain <laughs> i like that idea better i like that idea better but years later the doctor you know kept the portrait and kept it in his family and apparently some descendants of the birth came forward years and years later later and immediately identified it as the picture of theodosia so whatever her fate was, Theodosia's uneasy spirit appears to still roam some of the locations where she was most happy and sad in her life because her ghost has also been spotted in South Carolina, which is where her husband's plantation was. She's seen pacing back and forth in her long cloak near the warehouse in Georgetown Harbor, which is where she uh, bid farewell to her husband before she boarded the ship. Others have seen her strolling along the strand near um, his summer home. Some have seen, have described seeing her on foggy nights floating above the waves at Huntington Beach. Her spirit is also seen walking the paths and descending the Rice Island steps near her husband's plantation. So she's seen in multiple locations. And I guess it makes sense because, you know, normally, if you really believe in this, you normally haunt somewhere you're tied to. And if you're tied to so many places where you're happy or sad in your life, who knows? Maybe it is. We don't know what happens. Maybe it is possible for you to haunt multiple locations. But that's Theodosia Burr wow. and her weird portrait that wound up somewhere. Wow. Who would think the Burrs and the Lees would be running around to this day? Running around. Just scaring people. And next, we want to get to another very important man. That would be the man on the dollar bill. Oh, wait. I just realized that not everybody's from <laughs> So, our first president. Sorry. For those of you who know, again, she's thinks everyone knows it's George Washington. But did you know that George Washington, in addition to being the man on our dollar bill and our first president is being credited as helping the Union Army on one of its most, like, decisive engagements at Gettysburg. Yeah, George Washington. He was a general during the Revolutionary War, died in 1799, well before the Civil War, yet him, or his ghost, rather, is said to have appeared to the 20th Main Division as they approached Gettysburg. The men were fighting to hold Southern troops back from a hill, little round top, when a figure materialized before them, an officer on a shining white stallion, with his sword, dressed in uniform from the American Revolution. That man was Washington, who then issued the command, fix bayonets, charge. The Union soldiers chart, you know, listen to a ghost of George Washington. I would have. I mean, I guess. Better than what they were doing at the moment. If a guy that I recognized as my first president showed up, materialized, and told me what to do, I would assume (laughs) that he flashed from the future and saw what I have to do. That was literally what I would do. I would do it. I would. Well, they did. And because they did that, they charged down the hill, forced the Confederates into full retreat, and the northern states were never invaded again. So, current Gettysburg residents say that sometimes on hot summer nights, they still see a ghostly rider on a white horse galloping across the battlefield. When an officer was interviewed years later about the story of the ghost of George Washington, this old soldier replied, quote, Yes, that report circulated through our lines, and I have no doubt that it inspired the men. Doubtless it was a superstition. Then he paused and added, Who among us can say that such a thing was possible? We have not yet sounded or explained the immortal life that lies out beyond our earthly plane. We do not know what mystic power uh, may be possessed by those who are now... That word that I said right before... Bivoking? It's a word I... uh, Whatever. It's a weird word, and it basically means that they hang out with the dead. I only know the effect, but I dare not explain or deny the cause. I do believe that we were enveloped by the powers of the other world that day, and who shall say Washington was not among the number of those who aided the country he founded? It's really cool. That's really cool. And if, you know, you picture an old soldier, he's definitely not just going to be like, yeah, I saw a ghost. But like, you know, you really don't know. It could have been him. What a, I mean, they weren't winning at that moment. And then suddenly something told them to push down the hill. But that's not the only place. That it's goes. really cool to know that George Washington was anti-Southern. Right? He's like, <laughs> right? We know what side you were on. You advanced. Mount Vernon was a plantation home of George Washington. So... Another place that he obviously had a tie to, it was built in 1735 by his father and received its well-known name during the ownership of his half-brother Lawrence. Uh, He acquired Mount Vernon in 1754 and over the next 45 years slowly enlarged the dwelling to create the now 21-room residence. So it's a huge... Whoa. 
The home was constructed using wood. However, they use a variety of techniques to simulate the look of stone. So they were kind of advanced. Wow, that's really cool. Inside, he filled the home with rooms to entertain his many guests. These rooms include his study, two dining rooms, a west parlor, a front parlor, kitchen, multiple bedrooms. And over its lifetime, it was home to thousands of guests, many who, you know, kind of stayed there for hours, days, weeks, Weeks, whatever. months. I mean, you got 21 damn rooms. You got right. plenty of space. Exactly. But another, though, he also housed 318 slaves. The slaves helped to maintain the home and harvest the crops, which included cotton, tobacco, and silk. Back within the forest on the property lies a slave memorial which honors the lives of all who suffered. The memorial is on sacred ground, which was used back in the day as a cemetery for the slaves and a few free blacks who perished. Due to the graves that were either unmarked or maybe the marking they were marked but they didn't survive, it is unknown how many bodies are actually buried back there. Mm. But it hasn't stopped people from hearing and seeing things. Visitors usually hear songs being sung near the memorial, although no one is present. Others see dark shadows moving in between trees before being tapped on the back with nobody behind them. The spirit is believed to be William Lee, George Washington's personal servant. And another spirit is that of George Washington. So people see George Washington and his... um, Slaves. Well, his main servant, quote-unquote, William Lee. Let's say slave. We'll say slave. Because that's what it was. On Thursday, December 12, 1799, Washington spent several hours working on the plantation in terrible conditions that including sn- included snow, hail, and freezing rain. The following day, he awoke with a severe sore throat that became increasingly worse as the day progressed. All the av- available medical treatments failed to improve his condition, and he died at Mount Vernon around 10 p.m. on Saturday, December 14, 1799, at the age of 67. Yes, back then, you could die from a fucking sore throat. Mm-hmm. He was buried on the property in a small tomb later to be moved. He actually asked for it to be moved, but he was buried on the property, which is why I probably see his ghost now because he's freaking tied there. Mm-hmm. He actually got moved to like a more prominent tomb, and but his ghost is still seen throughout the house, moving things and speaking to his guests. Being host to many people, it is said that his spirit still believes that he is welcoming guests and stirring conversation, I guess. So I'm still a good host even in the afterlife. There's also a dark shadow, which can be seen in the bedroom where he passes. This dark shadow moves and is commonly seen out of the corners of visitors' eyes. Washington's nephew, Josiah Quincy, spoke of this ghost, saying it was his uncle. While visiting in 1806, Quincy was allowed to stay in Washington's previous bedroom, and during the evening, both Quincy and his father say that they saw what they believed to be the spirit of Washington himself. They held true to their story until the day they died. So it's not just random people that they could say, you know, like sometimes people will be random and they'll be like, oh, they're describing George Washington. This is family. They know what he looks like. They'll right. know if it's him. And right. they held that story until they both died that they both saw his spirit in that house. Wow. Pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. We'll move on to John and Abigail Adams. John Adams was president and his wife, Abigail, and they were actually second, the right? So second president. Woohoo, right. I know my history. Yes. They were actually the first occupants of the White House. Um, it was during Adams' presidency which was from 1797 to 1801, that the capital moved from Philadelphia to Washington. They basically, it was mostly a swamp, and they are what started to kind of build up what it is now. And during that time, there was a lot of rains, and it it really was just a big-ass swamp. It was only half finished when they moved in, but Mrs. Adams still, she tolerated the noise and the workmen coming and going. She was kind of fond of taking care of it, and in spite of its inconveniences, she still had receptions, dinner parties, and her invitations were highly coveted. So Good for her. Even in a half-assed swamp house, people still really wanted to come to her parties. I mean, it's also the White House and the presidency. Exactly. Why would you so not it's want like, to? Even if it was in the middle of a mud pit, I still want to go. Well, not now. Brand new White House? Yeah, yeah. for sure. But one immediate problem presented itself where to hang the family wash. The White House was inadequately heated and a number of rooms were cold and damp. So Mrs. Adams finally decided that the East Room was the warmest and driest place in her in her home and that's where the clothesline was strong first lady has apparently never forgotten because her ghost is seen hurrying towards the east room with her arms stretched out as if carrying a load of laundry <laughs> and she can be recognized by the cap and lace shawl that she wore a lot when she was alive so i don't know why that in particular is what she but i guess she just never forgot where the laundry was that's, that's really awesome that's that's where she is all the time <laughs> Next, we're going to go on to someone that I spoke about in a recent episode, Mr. Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president of the United States. And he's remembered for his vital role as a leader in preserving the Union during the Civil War and beginning the process that led to the ending of slavery in the United States. He also dismantled habeas corpus, but people don't like to talk about that. But anyway. Thank you. Okay, you're welcome. Sorry, I have my history and legal nerdiness. Sorry. I mean, I knew it. I just didn't want to talk about 
gosh, I don't, did they try to make him sound nice in the article? I don't. I personally know he's not, but you know, I always got to taint history with the realness. So <laughs> remember for his character, which is my next sentence. I didn't write it. This is coming out of articles, guys. His speech. He was also he was known for his speeches. He did. Have a lot yeah, of speeches, he was a good writer. I'll give him that. Yeah, and his letters. And uh, yeah, so he was president, and his life ended prematurely when he was shot by John Wilkes Booth in 1865. But apparently, his presence still lives on in the White House. Famous later occupants, including President Theodore Roosevelt and First Lady Grace Coolidge, reported seeing a tall, gaunt figure in several rooms of the White House from time to time. People walking by on the street have also reported seeing a shadow of basically someone with Lincoln's build and dimensions, which at the time, it's pretty obvious because he was super tall and everybody kind of knew that, you know, his body type. So they see someone in the window of the Oval Office, which apparently is when he used to stand gazing into the Potomac River during the days of the Civil War. Mary Todd Lincoln when they lived there because apparently the White House is just fucking haunted because Mm -hmm. in all these articles I keep hearing well they're not the first ones that haunted the White House blah 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 they weren't because Mary Todd Lincoln said that she heard a man with the unmistakable voice of Andrew Jackson when she used to walk around the Rose Room so apparently it's just like the freaking White House just wants everybody to stay there forever Basically, they bought psychics in, as normal people do. I mean, what else can you do? What else can you do? Because I really, honestly, after reading all these articles, the White House is fucking haunted. But psychics do believe that President Lincoln has never left the White House and that his spirit remains to complete the business of his, you know, short second term. And he wants to be available in times of crisis. So for lots of years, presidents, first ladies, guests, members of the White House have claimed to either see Lincoln or feel his presence. And by feeling his presence, it's something very specific. A lot of people know that Lincoln was very, like, melancholy. And we, as we talked about in previous episodes, he dreamt about his death. He had a hard time sleeping. He was pretty depressed. So, like, mm-hmm. when they say feel his presence, I think they mean that they really felt those feelings that everybody knew that Lincoln was feeling. They had several instances of just, like, eerie presences on his part. And, like, the legends that they knew, they just kind of knew that feeling. And apparently during his life, he had paid attention to, like, even the smallest details concerning the Civil War, and he felt, like, personal responsible for his for its outcome. So, like, going into his, like, depression and stuff, like, he just, he, I think he just took on a lot of feelings. He thought he was responsible for a lot of shit, so that's why he was, like, just such a depressed person in real life, and he just had a sad. I mean, the reality him. is the presidency does take a toll it on does. every... It takes a toll on everybody in it. On every major political person, like, whether you're a prime minister, whether you're president, it seems like the toll is taken on these it's people. It's taken, and you feel responsible for a lot of things. And, and everything you decide has a consequence. It does. So, so, they just said that he was just a, he just was a tragic person and that's what they feel when they're in there so people can feel him in the white house the ghost of lincoln was actually seen really frequently during the um, administration of franklin d roosevelt when the country went through the great depression which again they said that he wants to be available in times of crisis that's really interesting so when the country was going through a devastating depression and then a world war that's when his presence seemed to pop up a lot so I guess it shows that whatever he felt in life where he felt he was responsible for certain things, maybe that's what that's why he's around and that's why he can't let go. And he's also a problem solver. So Right, so that's when he popped up. When Queen Wilhelmina of Netherlands was a guest at the White House during that period, she was awakened one night by a knock on her bedroom door and thinking it might be an important message, she got up and opened it and the top hatted figure of President Lincoln was standing in her hallway. She fainted. Whoa. Same. When she came to, she was lying on the floor. The apparition had vanished by then, of course. Eleanor Roosevelt also used Lincoln's bedroom as her study, and although she denied seeing the president's ghost, she did admit also to feeling his presence whenever she worked late at night. She thought that he was standing behind her or peering over her shoulder. One occasion, Mrs. Roosevelt's secretary, Mary Even, encountered Lincoln's ghost sitting on the bed in the Northwest bedroom. He was pulling on his boots as if in a hurry to go somewhere. It startled her, and she went running and screaming from the second floor. Other staffers of that time, remember, this is specific to that time, because again, we were going through a lot of things as the country, so that's specific to that time. So one of the staffers of that era said that they'd seen Lincoln lying quietly on his bed in the afternoon. Seamstress Lillian Rogers Parks detailed in her autobiography a mystifying experience that she had one summer day in the same Northwest bedroom. It had just been freshly painted. She was putting it back in order. The White House was almost empty because the Roosevelts had gone to Hyde Park and they had taken most of the maids with them. So as she worked, she kept hearing someone coming to the door, but she never saw anybody. In fact, she knew that the whole second floor at that moment was deserted. On the third floor, after an hour of listening to all of these sounds, she went searching for the source. 
Again, the second floor is abandoned, and on the third floor, she asked, she found one houseman. So she asked him, why do you keep pacing on the second floor? He shrugged his shoulders. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. I haven't been on that floor. I just came on duty. That was Abe you heard. So apparently, everybody just knows that Lincoln's walking around making noise. And I like that he called him like, Abe. Abe. That was Abe. That was our friend Abe. During Harry S. Truman's administration, his daughter Margaret slept in that area of the White House and often heard noises, like I guess tapping on her bedroom door at night. Whenever she checked, no one was there. She complained to her father and he said that the noises must be due to dangerous settling of floors. He ordered the White House completely rebuilt. Like that was his solution. Rebuild the whole White White House. House. My daughter hears a noise. The chief architect, Major Jen E. Edgerton, told President Truman that the building had been in danger of an imminent collapse. So was the ghost of Truman maybe trying to warn them that the home was? You don't know. Maybe that's why he popped up in that moment to warn them that it was because apparently it really was an imminent danger of collapsing. Wow. Yep. And what are the chances that that would be like the fact that he made that suspicion right away and then it was confirmed is really strange too. It's really strange. It really felt like a warning. Mm -hmm. And then 30 years after the rebuilding of the White House, the Lincoln bedroom was still kind of regarded as haunted. Susan Ford, the daughter of President Gerald Ford, said publicly that she believes in ghosts and she had no intention of ever sleeping in that room because she had heard already. She had heard about the room. Stories of a ghostly President Lincoln wandering the corridors and rooms of the White House are still persistent. I mean, they're not officially acknowledged, but they're known. Mm-hmm. People know it. And um, if you if you believe in ghosts, you would have to kind of believe that Abe Lincoln still watches over the nation. Who knows? I mean, that's kind of cool. I guess he has a purpose. Or maybe he just felt inadequate that the way he did it when he was alive, that he feels like he wants to do it now. Yeah. But um, on to my last little one. This one's short. Dorothy Dolly Madison was the wife of James Madison, the fourth president of the United States. I'm going to give a history test after this shit. Should know at least five of the presidents, but she's known as she's known as the woman who turned the new nation's capital at Washington D.C. from kind of into like a high society scene. She served as the official White House hostess while her husband served as Secretary of State, and she was probably one of the most popular first ladies to have lived in the White House. She was born in 1768 and became the wife of a Quaker lawyer in Philadelphia. 1794, at the age of 26, she actually married James Madison. Yeah, I heard she's kind of like the partier. Like she, she was, was a party. Yeah, she was a party. She liked to rage. Oh yeah, she's she had wit and charm, and she had, she apparently had her ability to remember like everybody's faces. But I'm the same way. Even though if yeah. I don't remember your name, I'll remember your face. She never liked to be crossed, as a legend of her ghost bears out. When the second Mrs. Woodrow Wilson occupied the White House, she ordered gardeners to dig up the Rose Garden, which everybody, you know, who knows about the White House, there's a Rose Garden. They never did shit. Dolly Madison had built that garden, and she was going to make sure that the garden stayed the way that she wanted it to. Her ghost arrived in all her 19th century glory and fucked with the workmen. The men fled. So she just like waltzed into their garden? In all of her 19th century glory, waltzed into that garden and made sure that not a single speck of dirt was overturned and not a flower was disturbed and her garden continues to bloom today as it has been for nearly two centuries because nobody will touch it. Nobody fucks with Dolly Madison. Don't Madison's. fuck with her rose garden. If no, it ain't don't, broke, don't fix it. Don't fuck with Dolly Madison's roses. That's a pretty crazy fucking Happy episode. July 4th. Yeah. The White House is haunted. <laughs> that was pretty cool, man. I, I like the idea of like all these past leaders still kind of lingering around. That's kind of a cool idea. And I guess it kind of does make sense because just because they're famous figures or, or important people doesn't mean that they too don't feel the same emotions and energy that we do. And you know what I mean? Like, you know, some people say that the ghosts are, they come back because they have unfinished business. They could have unfinished business too. Maybe more so because they have a lot more pressure. That's very true. That's a good point. Yeah, let's move on to our lighter segment, Who Does That? Because I'm kind of creeped out thinking about, uh, I don't know, like, is Kennedy just sitting around hanging right? out with Abe Lincoln? You know what I mean? Like, like how does that show? work? Yeah, I wonder how that works. Go out to, like, the Rose Garden hang out with Dolly I mean, they all at some point intersect, right? You know, when they, like, swap the presidency, you know, like, in January when they... Right. They all yeah. meet eventually, so... I feel like, yeah, maybe they would. Very interesting. Very interesting idea. Uh, I'm gonna think about that now. A what? Lighten it up, it up. Haunted White House presidencies <laughs> okay. of the past. But anyways, so here let's get into our who does that. Who does that? Who does that? Who does that? Who, who does, does that? that? UPINews.com. UPI.com rather. New Jersey firefighters rescue child from claw machine. <laughs> I 
When I saw this, I was like, I don't care how short this is. I have to read this because I've seen it on TV as a joke. Right. Like you always see it's it as a, a joke. joke. But how does how does one get into a claw machine? That's my thing. I have trouble getting the damn claw machine to go where I want it to go, let alone getting myself into it. You know what I mean? It's pretty impressive. But anyway, let's get into this. Firefighters in New Jersey said they were summoned to a local business for an unusual rescue when a child ended up trapped inside a claw machine. Gloucester Township Fire District 6 posted photos to Facebook showing firefighters to dismantling the claw machine, which was filled with balls to rescue the small child Wednesday. Fire and it wasn't one filled with toys, it was one filled with balls. Balls. <laughs> so this must have been a really little kid because like what little kid cares about like going At into a giant claw machine full of balls? Toys. This must have been like a toddler. They, Of course, they don't they don't say That's the kid okay. or any information. Yeah. Of course not. Firefighters said the child was not injured and was reunited with their parents. The department said firefighters had undergone specialized training just last month, included simulation rescues involving, quote, unique predicaments. <laughs> so they at least they were prepared for it. But my thing, and I'm sorry, I'm not a parent, so I don't understand how this could happen. How do you miss your small child long enough where they could get into a claw machine? Like, I know that they can do things in like two seconds when you turn around, but you need some time to get into a claw machine. That's my thing. Like, how quick could this kid have, unless he had some kind of vantage point where he was on the floor and he just crawled and somehow got in there. But either way, or she, because I, I don't really say boy or girl, but I just don't understand how you can lose track of your child that long where they can get trapped in a claw machine. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you're a parent, please explain this like, to me. I got it. I like I said, I kind of get it if it's like for toys because it's like, all right, go get that toy because you're never going to get it through the claw machine because those claw machines don't ever win. But it's like balls. You went into a claw machine of balls? Imagine walking by and you're just seeing a, a claw machine and then suddenly you just see a kid like, ah, screaming on the glass. I'm like, kind of thinking about the parents because I would personally be fucking mortified and I would act like that wasn't my kid. I'd be like, I don't know who his parents are. That can't be my That's kid. I would hilarious. never let my kid into a claw machine. They must be fucking terrible, like mortified and so embarrassed that they let See, and I'm a disturbed individual. This is why I don't have children. Because as a joke, even as a passerby, I would put in the dollar and just be like, right? and like, try to get the kid out. Like, how do I extract this child's? I would attempt it. I really would. Obviously, in my head, I'm doing it. Not in real life, people. Relax. Relax. <laughs> Can you imagine, though, like, when they went to that training, they were probably like, this is freaking bullshit. This is ridiculous. When are we when ever going to have ever... to do this? In a month later, a you're rescuing a from a claw machine. There you go. World works in that funny, mysterious <laughs> way. Put it that way. That was awesome. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope you guys have a fantastic 4th of July. For us in the United States, it's a big fun weekend. We all go out, we barbecue. I hope you guys are having a good time with family. I hope you guys are safe. Please be very safe out there. Do not drink and drive. That's very important. Don't let the heat get to you. But most importantly, stay weird, Americas. Bye. Bye.